Do EpiPens Fail Higher Weight People? This is the Weight and Healthcare Newsletter. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing and or sharing at weightandhealthcare.com. I recently got a question from reader Mary Soul asking, I have food and bee allergies, so I carry EpiPens. I just came across your writing about the vaccine needles, and it made me wonder about the needle on my EpiPen. Should I be worried? Thanks for the question, and for those who haven't seen it, you can find the piece on vaccine needles at weightandhealthcare.com. I didn't know anything about this, but I thought that it would be pretty straightforward. It was not, so shout out to my paid subscribers who made it possible for me to spend a ton of time researching this and distilling it down into something that is not novel-esque. And of course, no shame to those who can't or don't want to subscribe. I'm super grateful that you're here reading this. First, there's a lot of controversy around epinephrine auto-injectors including around price gouging by the pharmaceutical industry. In 2007, Mylan, now Viatris, obtained the exclusive rights to sell the EpiPen with Pfizer as their sole supplier. At that time, they sold the EpiPen for $57. Now the average cost for a two-pack, preferred because of the possible need for two doses and often the only option for purchase, is $690, in at least one case leading to a $264 million settlement. There are also issues with AstroTurf groups, so-called patient advocacy groups that are, in fact, funded by the pharmaceutical companies that sell the injectors, complicating messaging. For this piece, I'm going to focus on the issues with effectiveness of epinephrine auto-injectors or EAIs and higher weight people, but I wanted to acknowledge these issues as well. First, the basics. EAIs, often called EpiPens, which is a brand name of an EAI, are used by those with severe allergies that can cause anaphylaxis, which can lead to obstructive breathing and rapid drop in blood pressure. Anaphylaxis can be fatal. EAIs are used by and for people with these allergies to start to reverse symptoms, often while waiting for emergency health care. Auto-injectors are pre-filled with the correct amount of the drug, well, maybe, more on that later, have clear and easy instructions printed on the side to help the patient or those around them use it correctly, and include a spring-loaded needle making them fast and easy to use. EAIs are recommended to be used on the muscle of the outer thigh, and here is where things can become problematic for higher weight people. There is some question and controversy about intramuscular versus subcutaneous injection, whether it's important for the drug to be injected into muscle tissue or if it's fine to inject under the skin into the fat layer. I will say that much of the controversy that I saw was generated either directly by the pharmaceutical industry and or through research funded by the industry and or conducted by people being paid by the industry, which doesn't make it untrue, but is a red flag for me. Guidance for about two decades has been that EAIs are more effective when delivered into muscle tissue than into subcutaneous adipose tissue because intramuscle injection leads to higher peak plasma concentration than subcutaneous injection. For this piece, I will accept the generally accepted premise that intramuscular is superior to subcutaneous injection with the caveat that new evidence could someday prove that incorrect. Accepting that premise, in order to maximize effectiveness, the needle of the EAI must be long enough to penetrate all subcutaneous adipose tissue and fascia and deliver the medication into the muscle, but not so long that it hits bone. As we get into the research, I want to point out that studies on this use hypothetical models and subjects who were not experiencing symptoms, since it's not ethical to induce anaphylaxis in order to test an EAI. Also, as always, my policy is not to link to studies and articles that contain weight stigma, but to give enough information so that they can be googled. This is not a new issue. For example, a 2009 study, 
Epinephrine auto-injectors, is needle length adequate for delivery of epinephrine intramuscularly? By Stetcher et al. found that, quote, the needle on epinephrine auto-injectors is not long enough to reach the muscle in a significant number of children. Increasing the needle length on the auto-injectors would increase the likelihood that more children receive epinephrine by recommended intramuscular route, end quote. A 2013 study, Predictors of epinephrine auto-injector needle length inadequacy by Bala et al. utilized ultrasound to determine muscle depth in 120 adults. They considered the patient a potential, quote, failure risk if their muscle depth exceeded 15.9 millimeters, which was the longest possible epinephrine auto-injector's needle. It should be noted that the patients are not the failure the inadequate needle length is. Bala et al. found that 31% of their sample were failure risks, with cis women at a 6.4 times greater risk than cis men, 54.4% versus 5% failure rate, respectively. Unfortunately, as with most studies, this study failed to include transgender and non-binary people. They concluded that, quote, the current epinephrine auto-injector needle length is inadequate for intramuscular injection, especially among women, end quote. To further complicate things, additional research has pointed out that in order for the needle to be fully in the muscle, an extra approximately 2 millimeters of length over and above the muscle depth measurement is needed to make sure that the needle is deep enough in the muscle that the medication is delivered there, so Bala et al. may well be underestimating. That study received media coverage, including in Reuters back in 2013, so this has been a known issue for at least a decade. A 2018 study, Bioavailability and Cardiovascular Effects of Adrenaline Administered by Anna Penn Auto-Injector in Healthy Volunteers by Duvachelle found that the injection needle failed to penetrate the muscle in 10 out of 12, quote, obese cisgender women. A 2019 study, Epinephrine Auto-Injector Needle Length, Does Height or BMI Add Valuable Information in Adults by Drayboard et al., looked at not just body size and needle length, but also other factors that could potentially impact efficacy, including whether the EAI was high pressure or low pressure which refers to the force of the spring on the needle, and clothing thickness, in this case accounting for winter clothing. They found that when using high-pressure EAI through naked skin with the shortest needle, 14 of 17, quote, obese, and 14 of 23, quote, overweight cisgender women had a high risk of subcutaneous injection. Through thick clothing, all 17, quote, obese cis women and 20 of 23, quote, overweight cis women would have a risk of subcutaneous injection. With low-pressure EAIs through naked skin using the shortest needle, 8 of 17, quote, obese, and 4 of 23, quote, overweight women would have risk of subcutaneous injection. Wearing thick clothing, it became 10 of 17, quote, obese, and 7 of 23, quote, overweight cis women. They concluded that, quote, Using high-pressure EAIs, high BMI predicted a very high risk for subcutaneous injection in women and some men. Even injection with low-pressure EAIs had some risk of subcutaneous injection, especially when injected through thick clothing. Height had no predictive value. End quote. And as always, a reminder that BMI is a deeply flawed concept. So, Adequate needle length and low-pressure injection seem to be important for higher-weight people. But there's still the matter of dosage. Do higher-weight people need higher doses of epinephrine? A 2022 study, International Recommendations on Epinephrine Auto-Injector Doses Often Differ from Standard Weight-Based Guidance, a review in clinical proposals by Dreyborg et al., took on this question. 
They noted that, quote, the majority of national and regional professional societies and authorities recommend epinephrine delivered by autoinjectors at doses far lower than the generally accepted therapeutic dose of 0.01 milligrams per kilogram body weight, end quote. They also point out that while this is the generally accepted dose, it has not been tested scientifically, in large part due to the ethical issues mentioned above. They point out that a combination of inadequate needle length leading to, quote, slower systemic distribution than intramuscular IM injection, end quote, and lower than recommended dose can explain the, quote, relative increase in anaphylaxis fatalities in women with higher body mass indices in the community, a well-documented phenomenon, end quote. They cite four studies from 2000 to 2021 to back up this statement. They do note that, quote, the influence of epinephrine on patients with easily triggered cardiac complications such as arrhythmias and a tendency toward myocardial infarction must be considered whenever injecting this medication, end quote. In terms of recommendations, they say, quote, in children, a higher dose than the generally recommended appears to be well tolerated. Therefore, it is likely reasonable to at least increase the dose to 0.15 milligrams in children weighing 10 to 25 kilograms and to 0.3 milligrams in children weighing 25 to 40 kilograms. Likewise, the 0.5 milligram dosing should be tolerated by adolescents and young adults weighing more than 40 kilograms. Healthy adults weighing more than 50 kilograms would likely benefit from the 0.5 milligram dose. End quote. They conclude, quote, we suggest prescribing more appropriate doses of epinephrine auto-injectors based on weight-based recommendations. There may be some exceptions, such as for patients with heart disease. We hypothesize that these recommendations will lead to improved outcomes of anaphylaxis, end quote. It should be noted that the authors of this study take money from pharmaceutical companies that make these pens. One other thing I want to point out is that their recommendations stop at, quote, more than 50 kilograms which is about 110 pounds. This suggests to me that they aren't considering, let alone including, higher weight people in their thinking here. If the medication is typically dosed by weight, then it's ludicrous to assume without testing that a dose that is adequate for someone who weighs 110 pounds would be adequate for someone who weighs several times more. This is another way in which weight stigma in medical research means that higher weight people are underserved. They acknowledge that since at least 2000, there have been higher rates of anaphylaxis fatalities in higher weight cis women than tap out at 110 pounds in their recommendations. Research needs to do better than this. So what can be done? This isn't just a problem for higher weight people. It could also impact people who are traditionally thin but happen to have a thicker layer of fat on their thighs or even someone who typically wears thick clothes, especially if they aren't easy to remove. As always, I'm not offering medical advice here and you should check with a qualified, preferably weight neutral practitioner. One option is to measure the patient's skin to muscle depth by ultrasound when the EAIs are prescribed and then find an EAI with the correct needle length. If you are a patient, you can ask for this and if you're a practitioner, you can initiate it. There is a table in this article at Weight and Healthcare that has the brands of EAIs, including needle length as of 2019. Note again that they suggest subtracting two millimeters from the length of the needle as advertised to make sure that the medication is actually delivered intramuscularly. Of course, the fact that an EAI that works for someone exists doesn't mean it's accessible and affordable to them. In my research, there was consensus that a too short needle is still better than nothing. Using the needle on bare skin can also help. Another tip I came across was to push down as hard as you can when giving the injection. On a much larger scale, we need much more research about this. This is a life and death medication, and the fact that fat people weren't included in research and manufacturing from the beginning is unconscionable. But the fact that the latest research still says we need more research for a problem that has been identified for over 20 years is simply unacceptable.
And it's an example of one of the many ways that fat people's health is compromised by weight stigma. Higher weight people deserve far more from our healthcare. Did you find this post helpful? You can subscribe for free to get future posts delivered direct to your inbox or choose a paid subscription to support the newsletter and get special benefits. Go to weightandhealthcare.com and click subscribe.